It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The Keystone XL pipeline has been in the planning process for over a decade. Former President Donald Trump approved the project to move forward, and last year, part of the pipeline was set in the ground across the U.S.-Canadian border in northeast Montana. Well, today, Montana Governor Greg Gianforte started his press briefing by denouncing the decision and asked the president to reconsider. That pipeline is planned to run 285 miles through eastern Montana, crossing six counties before exiting into South Dakota. Gianforte calls the Biden decision a bad deal for Montana, one that will hurt our economy. There is broad bipartisan support for the project here in Montana. Unfortunately, the president's executive action is purely partisan. The pipeline has been under review for a long, long time. It has been thoroughly vetted to meet safety and environmental standards. The project will create thousands of good-paying Montana jobs. OTC well, Energy is the company hoping to complete that pipeline. They anticipate a peak workforce of more than 4,000 jobs during construction across Montana, but those would mostly be temporary jobs during the construction phase of that project. That pipeline could also bring in millions of dollars in property tax revenue for those six counties that it would cross. Gianforte says he will continue to urge President Biden to reverse his decision. All right, good morning. Sandy Rios with you. That is, uh, that is a huge little stroke of the pen that Joe Biden did last Wednesday and that was to stop the building of the Keystone Pipeline. He did also a number of uh, orders and executive orders that will affect all of us, and that's actually what we're going to talk about today. But um, in a minute, uh, Myra Bell from the Competitive Enterprise Institute will join me, and we're going to talk about the implications of that. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? And we'll talk about that uh, pretty shortly. All right, so the... Uh, the House marched over their article of impeachment last night to the Capitol, and it is that the President of the United States incited, I think the exact language is incited, uh, violence, you know, in the Capitol, insurrection, something like that. So that's the one article. That's what they're laying at the feet of uh, the Senate, and the Senate is now saying they will take that up on February the 8th. But some interesting developments uh, in the last 24 hours Instead of Chief Justice John Roberts, the Supreme Court justice usually presides over an impeachment uh, trial in the Senate. That's been that's constitutional. That's the way it happens. But since President Trump is not a sitting president, they've decided to use. Are you ready? Drum roll. Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont. Now that probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but I'll just tell you that Senator Patrick Leahy is about 105 years old. Well, of course not really. Uh, he's been on the Judiciary Committee uh, for decades. 
He is uh, like the Crypt Keeper, keeper and he is, he's just wicked. I can just tell you this. Uh, in the 80s, he was on the House Intelligence Committee, and he was so bad about leaking out information to news sources about America's national security secrets. Now, hang on a second. Uh, oh, they called him Leaky Leahy. That was his nickname, Leaky Leahy. But somehow he managed to survive, and of course he's still there like all those other fossils in the Senate who have uh, behind them just a trail of corruption. Abuses, Joe Biden is just one of them. Uh, they make themselves rich. They do all kinds of things, and they get away with it. And so Patrick Leahy is one of those. Uh, he is one of the biggest liars in the Senate. I've been, you know, had the privilege of sitting in the Senate Judiciary com- Committee room when he was on the committee. <laughs> he was the chairman. Uh, and uh, because I knew exactly what he was talking about and the issue that was being discussed, uh, the lies that came out of his mouth, and of course out of Senator Kennedy's mouth at the time, this just the modus operandi. They could not tell the truth, and they slandered everyone that they disagreed with. So he's going to preside over that uh, trial, which I thought you might find interesting. Now, here's another interesting thing. There is a word abroad that Republican senators may ask for a secret ballot to hide their vote from constituents. So on impeachment, Republican senators might, you know, they might not want you to know, you know, exactly how it was that they voted. And so they're trying to desperately kind of hide that so they're free to vote however they uh, choose. And we kind of know who wants to hide, don't we? So Mitt Romney, uh, of course, this is he, he weighed in a couple of days ago, and he's just not sure. Uh, he tells us that in clip 20. Well, we're, cer- we're certainly going to have a trial. Uh, I, I wish that weren't necessary, but the, the president's conduct with regards to the call to Secretary of State Raffensperger in Georgia, uh, as well as the incitation towards the insurrection uh, that led to the attack on the Capitol, uh, calls for a trial. And, uh, uh, you know, if we're going to have uh, unity in our country, I think it's important to recognize the need for accountability, uh, for truth and justice. So I think there will be a trial, and I hope it goes as quickly as possible, but that's up to the council on both sides. Well, thank you. I hope we had, you know, if we had a truth and justice committee, you might come in out on the short stick, uh, Senator Romney. <laughs> uh, but I, we won't be too surprised to see how you vote in impeachment. All right, I want to talk to you about something else that uh, Joe Biden, the new president, weighed in on yesterday uh, because it's really important. Uh, Chicago Teachers Union voted uh, to ignore Chicago Public Schools uh, ordering them back to work. They decided they would not do it. They voted to defy it. Um, City officials had said in recent days they would view the collective refusal of an in-person work as a strike, but they changed their mind. And so 86% of the 25,000 rank-and-file CTU members participated in the electronic vote. 71% favored the rejection of in-person work. I want you to hear what Joe Biden said about that particular— Well, I, I actually, no, I want, to, I want to read this to you first. This is a companion uh, story to me, companion story that came out uh, just a couple of days ago, and it has to do with the situation in Las Vegas. Rash of student suicides push Las Vegas schools to partially reopen. Clark County School District in Nevada, the nation's fifth-largest school district, wants to reopen as quickly as possible— Following a rash of student suicides, there were 18 suicides in the nine months that the schools were closed due to the coronavirus lockdown, which is double 
the amount of suicides in all of the previous year. By July, after the six suicides since March, the district invested in a program, uh, it's an alert system, to send reports of mild to severe suicide risk. The system scans student writings um, on iPads, and they, um, that's what they've been doing, trying to monitor kids and stop them from killing themselves. We have to find a way to put our hands on our kids, to see them, to look at them. They've got to start seeing some movement, some hope. That statement by um, Jesus Hara, who's the Clark County superintendent. And also, just moving on, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported in August that one quarter of American young adults have thought about committing suicide since the coronavirus pandemic started. 25 Almost 26% of Americans aged 18 through 24 had seriously contemplated suicide in the past 30 days. Among those aged 25 to 44, 16% thought about killing themselves. The CDC found that the average proportion of emergency department visits by children for mental health-related reasons was 44% higher from mid-March into October compared to that time period in 2019. And it isn't only students who are suffering. It's uh, social isolation, employment concerns, financial uncertainties, and anxiety about the future, of course, have caused emotional damage to to adults. Pre-lockdown, there were 8% of American adults showing depression symptoms. According to one study uh, published in September, post-lockdown, that figure skyrocketed to nearly 28%. So here we are dealing, and I don't think it would take a rocket science uh, that to notice that our children are very depressed. Our teenagers are very depressed. I would imagine your children are very depressed, and they need to be seen and touched and heard. That is God's design for us. Uh, but Joe Biden weighed in on this, and let's see clip four. You have made reopening schools a central part of your first 100 days agenda, and you've long portrayed yourself as an ally to the teachers and unions. Right now, the Chicago Teachers Union has refused. They've defied an order to return to in-person classing for in-person classrooms because of a lack of vaccinations. Do you believe, sir, that teachers should return to schools now? I believe we should make school classrooms safe and secure for the students, for the teachers, and for the, the help that's in those schools maintaining the facilities. We need new ventilation systems in those schools. We need testing for people coming in and out of the classes. We need testing for teachers as well as students. So it's not so much about the idea teachers aren't going to work. The teachers I know, they want to work. They just want to work in a safe environment and as safe as we can rationally make it, and we can do that, and we should be able to open up every, every school, kindergarten through eighth grade, if, in fact, we administer these tests. We actually uh, edited that clip. He had a lot more restrictions. A lot of things, you know, schools need to do, just like just scrub everything down and social distance the kids, and, hey, sure, you can open up. Uh, so this is where we are. We have teachers refusing to go back to work because of their safety. The stats just do not support this. Ladies and gentlemen, children are, the cases of COVID among children are rare. And among teachers who, unless they're over 65, and in that case, uh, their, um, their chances of dying from COVID are uh, 
6%. But uh, most of them are not over 65, and so it's almost nil. They have a 1% chance of getting COVID, but that, yet they can't teach. It's just too dangerous. So uh, madness and destruction. When, you tell, when tell people tell you they're wearing a mask and social distancing and it, you know, going to this hyper-paranoia about COVID, they say to you, I'm doing that because I care about you. I'm trying to help others. I'm doing my part. There's no mention about what their refusal uh, to embrace the notion that it's maybe not quite so scary and death-threatening as they thought. They're clinging to it to preserve their own life. It's costing the lives, literal lives, of children and young adults and adults, drug abuse, uh, jobs lost, a business is going out. That is the, the price that's being paid for people who are paranoid about this and insisting that the rest of us remain paranoid about it. Very dangerous and very sad. All right, I want to give you some good news. Okay, can I do that? Uh, I think you might need some. All right, so, uh, oh, man, I've only got a minute and a half, but I'm going to give you as much as I can. The Supreme Court has just dismissed an annulments lawsuit against President Trump. It had to do with him using Trump Tower uh, when foreign nationals would come in, and they were accusing him of enriching himself doing that. Republicans in various states are attacking their voter laws. They're doing it in uh, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, they're doing, and Wisconsin, they're doing something about uh, what happened in the last election cycle in the state. And the states each control their voting uh, uh, system. And so that's a good thing. Virginia, uh, they, there was a court ruling, by the way, our own uh, Christian Adams, who is the president and general counsel of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, won this one. He was the one uh, pushing this suit. The Virginia Board of Elections ruled allowing officials to count ballots that arrived without a postmark up to three days after the election was illegal. All right, so um, in Michigan, Representative Upton, who voted um, uh, for impeachment for President Trump, has been unanimously censured by one of the counties he represents. Uh, And uh, Matt Gaetz is out in Wyoming campaigning against Liz Cheney. (laughs) So people are fighting back, and I wanted you to know that. All right, coming up next, President Biden's energy environmental, all kinds of things, orders, and its effect on us. Stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The Word of God tells us many times in one way or another, fear not. Today in the world, many are very fearful, afraid of the coronavirus and other perils that are going on in our world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tells us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. Certainly use wisdom and insight that government and medical professionals are encouraging, but first, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to encourage you to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. This is Pause to Pray. A chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today, we pray for Defense Intelligence Agency Director Scott Barrier. General Barrier oversees the agency providing defense and military intelligence to our nation's highest leaders, including the President. Proverbs 15.22 reminds us of the importance of having wise counsel. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide General Barrier as he provides counsel to our nation's leaders. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Pray with us as we lift up each state's freshman senators and representatives as part of our 2021 Bold Initiative. Learn more at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Feeling stuck? At Liberty University, we know you've waited long enough to move forward. So we're making sure the resilient career you want is closer than you think. Choose from more than 450 degrees, 100% online, for one of the lowest tuition rates in the nation. We've kept it the same for five years and counting, and we'll give you college credit for your life experience so you can save time and money. Stop feeling stuck and start moving toward the future you want with a school you can trust. Learn more by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595. Democrats want to punish Senators Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. They say both men are responsible for inciting violence at the Capitol building. Now, there's no evidence to back up their accusations, but that does not seem to matter. There is, however, plenty of evidence to prove Democrats have been inciting violence against conservatives. Exhibit A, California Congresswoman Maxine Waters. She told a crowd of her followers to absolutely harass Trump supporters in grocery stores and restaurants and gas stations. What happened on January 6th is a black mark in our nation's history. We still don't know exactly what happened or who was ultimately behind the attack, but we do know there were some conservatives in the mob. No matter their intent, it hurt President Trump and it hurt the conservative movement. We cannot and we must not adapt the tactics of the left. We're better than that. Be sure to download my free podcast at ToddStarns.com. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Right now, the the numbers of jobs are, are thousands of jobs. There's, there's Michaels, there's Precision Pipeline um, that would have affected that the pipeline was going to be constructed. Um, the actions that were happened recently, we were doing station work. There's hundreds of guys that got laid off. Was that Tuesday? That's the general manager of the Keystone Pipeline uh, just describing, you know, in plain language, what's happening with all those people working on the pipeline. Pipeline. Neil Crabtree from Arkansas had a more personal version of the same story. Clip one. Our industry is just like the rest of the country. You know, COVID hurt us bad last year. We had a lot of projects canceled. So we've got guys that haven't worked in months and in some cases years. And uh, to have a project of this magnitude canceled, it's, it's going to hurt a lot of people, a lot of families, and a lot of communities. The Keystone is something that we've been trying to build for a decade now. And uh, uh, it's been a, a really hot political uh, you know, fight. Uh, but we finally got started on it this year. I was working in Nebraska building a, a pump station. But, uh, you know, as soon as the, the new administration came in on day one, they decided they want to put 11,000 people out of work. <laughs> or, you know, it was about two o'clock Thursday when we were told that we're not going to progress any further. But 
we t- took a couple of days packing our stuff up and uh, we actually got laid off Friday and I'll be taking my unemployed self back to Arkansas in the morning. <laughs> because of the situation the country's in right now, uh, this is not a time to be making political statements. Uh, we need to be finding ways to put more Americans back to work, not the other way around. Uh, so I was I was very surprised. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you. That was Neil Crabtree again from Arkansas. Uh, those are the real effects on uh, what Joe Biden's executive order signature actually started. It's not even been a week yet. Uh, Myron Bell was with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and he is an expert on regulations, on the environment, on all things like this. And so my, I've asked him to join us this morning. Myron, good morning. Good morning, Sandy. Good to hear yeah. your voice. Yeah, nice to hear yours too, Myron. We're not, you know, we're all separated, you know, can't really see each other anymore. So it's nice to hear from you too. Let's um, talk about, first of all, the the Keystone Pipeline, because I think it could just help people understand why this is so devastating. And then also the effect it's going to have on all of us. Well, you're you're right. It's devastating, but it's just the tip of the iceberg of the things that uh, President Biden did on uh, energy issues and, and climate issues in his first day in office. The, the Keystone Pipeline has been a, a political football for a long time, and the reason is because it cross it starts up in northern Alberta, in Canada, and it crosses the U.S. Canada border, and that means that the State Department and essentially the president, have have approval authority because it crosses the international boundary. Otherwise, it would have been built uh, uh, a long time ago. Uh, so it's uh, it's designed to, to bring the, uh, the oil from the oil sands, uh, the bitumen it's called, uh, from Alberta down uh, to the Gulf of Mexico where all the refineries are and where there are also ports where where. Uh, crude oil and, and refined products can be uh, shipped uh, around the world. And as I think you've probably followed, the United States in 2019, for the first time since the mid-1950s, became a net exporter of oil. That is, instead of importing 500 or $600 billion of oil from other countries a year, we were exporting it. And of course, Canada is closely tied into that, so we don't, we don't, I don't even consider it, you know, foreign oil. Our, our economies are so closely connected. Now, by canceling the pipeline, it's put a lot of construction workers out of, out of a job, and that's bad. Uh, there's going to be a lot more of that as the Biden administration goes on, so I think people need to get, get prepared for it, uh, in those heartland states where there's manufacturing and natural resource production, where there are a lot of uh, construction jobs. Uh, I don't think we're going to see, uh, you know, uh, the kind of uh, economic uh, progress uh, for the next four years that, that President Trump uh, and his team brought, brought to the heartland states. Yeah, uh, the compa- another story that connects to that, uh, I just read Byron that Iron. Byron, Myron, sorry, that Iran has begun boosting its oil production. So I think the point of that to me is that it would seem that the Biden administration and its advisors are intentionally trying to pull America down from its abilities. We've been the largest exporters, I understand it. We've been become energy independent under President Donald Trump's right. policies. And part of that was the Keystone Pipeline. 
So the end game here is what? What's going to happen? Because Iran is boosting its oil production. What do you expect is going to happen here? Uh, the 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 uh, energy boom that uh, has been created by not only the oil sands in Alberta, but also the shale oil and gas revolution, primarily in the United States, which was an American innovation, getting getting oil and gas out of the rock, not just finding pools of it, but actually extracting oil from the shale rock formations. Uh, that... Uh, uh, revolution not only made us energy independent, but it's completely transformed the the world's expectations about how much oil there is, uh, how how long our supplies are. We now have, uh, we were running out of natural gas when President Obama took office. Now, you know, it's hard for the natural gas producers to make any money. There's so much of it, and it's so cheap. This has had a huge economic benefit to the United States. Instead of being a, a huge importer of oil, we're now a, a modest exporter. Um, and uh, what's uh, what the Biden administration is doing is they are putting uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, our other uh, major uh, producers back in charge rather than us being in charge of, of the global market. And that will, of course, have political ramifications way beyond uh, just just energy. It's it's uh, you know it's it's the balance of power. It's uh, who 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 has who has uh, political weight in the world. So uh, now Canada, I just like to say the the oil sands in Canada, they're going to keep producing oil. It it will just be shipped out by rail, which is of course much more expensive than a pipeline and much less safe. Uh, and I think eventually in Canada they will build a pipeline to either the west coast or the east coast, and they'll they'll export it instead of sending it to the to the United States and the Gulf refineries. They'll send it to Asia or to Europe. So I think um, you know Canada will eventually do okay. I, the, the final thing I'd say about the international situation is this is just a slap in the face to Canada. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> and you saw that when when. Uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, you know, in the first call that Biden had with a foreign leader, complained about it and said, "Hey, wait a minute! What? I thought we were on the same side here." So, uh, ha, ha, ha. did not get the Biden ha. administration off to a good start. Well, I have to say, Myron, I think that's going to be uh, an awakening for a lot of people on the left who were so excited to get Donald Trump out of office, and this is going to come back to bite almost all of them, and certainly all of us. All right, so Keystone is, uh, you know, no more. And, but there are lots of other uh, things that he did uh, in terms of the environment. And you've, you've written a great article, by the way. I want to talk about it just for a second. It's called President Biden Moves Quickly to Unleash Regulatory Juggernaut. And that is in the CEI blog, and we'll put that on our Facebook page. But um, I think, you know, regulations, Myron, you've been in D.C. for a long time. Uh, and um, so the whole issue of regulations is like, you 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 talk that language, but most people uh, in the rest of the country don't really understand what that really means and what the impact on them is. Can you kind of just give us a general overview of what President Trump did and why it was so effective to the economy? Uh, I'll try. It's uh, as you say, it's a big issue. I'll I'll stick to the environmental side of it and energy side and not get into labor regulations or financial regulations, which okay. I, I, I don't know anything about. 
Uh, look, our our, produ- our our material economy, that is the people who, who dig up stuff, uh, grow stuff, and make stuff, there's a lot of environmental laws that were passed in the 1970s that, that try to reduce pollution and uh, and make uh, the uh, the environmental effects of digging up stuff, growing stuff, and making stuff less less bad, and uh, and they've largely succeeded. I mean, air pollution levels all across the country are just uh, just a tiny fraction of what they were in 1970. Uh, our water is much cleaner, uh, and our and our ground, our soil is is uh, has the, the Toxic waste dumps and Superfund sites that many of those have been cleaned up. So, so the environment is in much better shape. But what's happened over over the decades is that the regulations keep getting tighter. Even though each each little bit of pollution, let's say you get rid of ninety percent of air pollution, and you're now you've now got ten percent left, it gets more and more expensive to get rid of tinier and tinier parts of that ten percent. So uh, we've made the air healthy uh, virtually throughout the country for for people, but now the environmental movement and the regulators at the EPA are saying, "Oh no, we have to get rid of it all." You know, we can't. Have it. But but there's no there's no good health benefits to getting rid of it all, uh, and the cost is incredibly high. And this is what is limiting our econ- economy. Uh, our, our material economy, manufacturing, a lot of manufacturing has moved to China because of cheap uh, uh, wages, but a lot of it has moved out of this country because of extremely tight environmental laws. And so uh, that's one side of it. The other side of it, which we could talk about, but I'll just mention now, is permitting. Uh, we have this law called the National Environmental Policy Act, and, and if you want to permit a project that has some federal involvement, like a wetland, uh, you're going to have to get a federal permit, and that takes years and years and years. And that drives investment out of this country. Let me give you an example. Uh, in Canada, if you have a, a new mining project, the government tries to get it through the permitting process once you've applied in two years. In this country, the average uh, for a big mining project is over a decade. Now, if, you, if you're going to invest billions of dollars and you're going to provide high-paying mining jobs, uh, where are you going to invest, Canada or the United States? Well, obviously Canada. They have a, they have a booming mining industry, and we have, we've just driven our mining industry uh, to Indonesia and and uh, other other countries in Asia. So uh, this is this is the kind of thing that President Trump was trying to fix. And to a large extent, I mean, okay, uh, it's it's not perfect. Nothing in the regulatory process is ever perfect. But he made huge uh, improvements in the permitting process to make uh, to get these things through the process, these big projects faster. So uh, so investment. Has, has started to come back into this country, and I think now it's going to stop very quickly. You know, just one example that people will understand, um, this is not in the, the um, environmental area, but it's in the medical. Uh, President Trump and his team, uh, they eliminated so many regulations. That's one of the reasons that they were able to allow that vaccine for COVID to be developed so quickly right. is because they slashed so many of those 
uh, draconian right. regulations. So that'll give people an idea of a huge, that's in one area, just one area. And I know that he had staff going through the regulatory agencies and just slashing, slashing, slashing. So this is just one area. All right. Uh, one of the things that you, uh, you, uh, I learned so much. I learned probably all I know about, most of it, about the Paris Climate Treaty from you, Myron. And uh, you have been an opponent from day one. And now uh, President Trump, of course, removed us from that tree, uh, that, well, from the treaty. Uh, but Joe Biden, with his pen, uh, put us right back in. So what does that mean to us? Well, the Paris Climate Treaty is very interesting because in 2015, every nation, uh, instead of having a, a regulatory framework that covers the entire world, which, of course, would be a nightmare, uh, every country uh, promised to do something to reduce their, their so-called greenhouse gas emissions. That's primarily carbon dioxide, which is produced from burning things. So when we burn coal, oil, and natural gas, we're adding to the carbon dioxide level in, in the uh, atmosphere and the oceans. Okay, so the United States made a promise to reduce its emissions, uh, and China made a promise to, to increase its emissions. So, so we have hamstrung ourselves, President the Obama administration and Secretary of State John Kerry and Vice President Biden. They agreed to economically hamstring the United States while China agreed to uh, allow their economy to continue to develop by uh, uh, saying that our emissions will continue to go up until 2030. So this is, uh, this is uh, you know, it's bad even if China said we're going we're gonna to reduce emissions just as much as the U.S. It's bad because what it does is it, the only way to reduce emissions from burning coal, oil, and natural gas is to make us energy poorer. That is to say, to raise energy prices, to limit the amount of energy that people have to use in their lives. And that includes uh, uh, oil, which is 95% of our transportation economy comes from gasoline and diesel, and electricity, where uh, 70-some percent of our electricity comes from natural gas and coal. So uh, once you get rid of the cheapest parts of the electric supply and move to more expensive and less reliable uh, sources, you're going to raise electric rates, and we're going to see, uh, as electric rates go up, those electric cars we're told that we're going to have to be driving, they're going to become more expensive to maintain as well because it's going to cost more to charge them. So the the whole idea is to make people poorer in terms of energy, and of course energy is what makes everything go, you know, I mean. It's, it says uh, Julian Simon, the, the, the late great Julian Simon said, energy is the, net, is the master resource. Yeah, it's kind of like um, money is the fuel uh, of life, you know, just to do anything. And energy is the fuel mm-hmm. of our activities. Uh, I re, you know, I know that you remember, but I have to just insert that jo- uh, when Barack Obama was running for president, he said, under our plan, uh, energy prices will necessarily skyrocket. And he talked about how, you know, you shouldn't be able to keep your home so cool or so warm. Who do you, basically, who do you think you are to have such comfort? You don't, that's that's not right. right. We have to make it equal around the globe. So that is basically what the thought is behind this, isn't it? Yes, and it's, uh, of course, uh, President Obama failed in that uh, project, but it's it's 
happening in parts of the country that have adopted the whole climate agenda, primarily California and the Northeast. So in California now, uh, in many areas, you have electric rates that are twice the national average, and they're just getting started. Uh, they're going to go up and up and up, and that's why people are leaving California. Uh, you know, the, the yes, the California's population hasn't fallen very much, but that's because they have a lot of uh, illegal aliens moving in. Uh, the productive middle class that actually produce something uh, have been fleeing California for years now, and, and I think it's becoming a tidal wave of people moving, and, and, and even big companies moving to places like Texas. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, we're finding out what the... California is a test for these policies, and so far people are voting with their feet and saying, we, we don't like these policies and we can't live with them. There's a lot more detail in your article. And by the way, you, you quote the Los Angeles Times as saying, uh, having a headline saying, Make America California Again. That's Biden's plan. Uh, but I want to move down to this thing because you, <laughs> funny. And funny that the LA Times would print that. Yeah, because they're a lefty paper. But I, okay, so uh, you, you say that the Biden administration wants to host a U.S hosted Climate Leader Summit, interestingly enough, on the 151st anniversary of Lenin's birth. Okay, so I mentioned that particular little nugget because, uh, Myron, I see the hand of Marxism in this. Do you see that hand? Not in that date, necessarily, well, but in this whole process. Well, April 22nd, is, by the way, is uh, Earth Day. And uh, so they chose it because it's Earth Day, but of course the people who started Earth Day were amused when they realized that the day, one of the days that they had targeted for the first Earth Day in 1970 happened to be Lenin's birthday. So, so there is a, there is a uh, connection to, to uh Yeah, but My, Myron, let me... Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, Wesley Smith, I know you know Wesley, I'm sure you know Wesley Smith. He's been writing on... He was one of the, I think, the great intellects writing about the environmental movement a long time ago, and I got to know him when I was on radio in Chicago, and he told me how uh, when he got into that movement and realized uh, he was not a man of faith, but he said what he saw inside the heart of that movement frightened him to death, just a lot of darkness, and I think, yeah, um, um, yeah. yeah. would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think, you know, when we say it's Marxist, I think it's it's more widely authoritarian than Marxist. I think that the people, there's a, there's a wide range of political views in the environmental movement, but I think in, in large part, they believe that the only way to save the environment and protect the environment is to limit what people can do and to put government in charge of telling people how much energy you can use, what kind of food uh, you can, uh, you know, this bio-local movement, uh, well, <laughs> the, look, uh, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, said, told people in New York that they should start eating uh, local food that's, uh, that's you know, uh, uh, to New York. Well, of course, everybody would starve in New York. <laughs> I mean, the climate doesn't, you know, what are you going to grow it in the yeah. climate of New York? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, and you don't have any acreage anyway. But yeah. these, this is the way these people think, that they yeah. can just order people to change their lives and tell them how to live. And yeah, it's all totally. supposedly on behalf of the environment. It's all about like power, eventually. Power, it's about, yeah. It's all about political power. 
Okay, well, Myron, we ha- we've run out of time, but uh, it's been great talking to you. And I want to recommend this uh, article that you've written, President Biden Moves Quickly to Unleash Regulatory Juggernaut. Uh, and uh, we'll put it because it has a lot more information on it. And it's also something that you can share with your friends to explain what's going on here. I think the end game, of course, is to do away with uh, cars that are that require oil and gas and go to the electric. But Myron just explained those are going to become more expensive to operate anyway. I think they want us on bicycles and, you know, uh, straw uh, wagons. I think that's really what they have in mind. I seriously, Myron, yes, thank Andy, you. Andy, yes, there's, sir. There's, there's, more, there's more to come on Wednesday. Wednesday is the Biden administration climate day. So just be prepared. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Myron <laughs> and Bell, thank you, Myron. We'll talk to you again soon. All thank right, you, Sandy, Sandy. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Two New Mexico churches are facing fines of $10,000 for having too many worshipers on Christmas Eve. Let's lift our collective voice and tell Governor Michelle Grisham to stand down and rescind those fines. The First Amendment guarantees us freedom of religion. You can send the New Mexico governor an email by visiting afa.net. Governmental penalties for worshiping our Lord and Savior should be opposed by all Christians. Let's do our part to stop this unconstitutional erosion of religious liberty. Visit afa.net. Is your success in life being stolen? Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve. Unbelief is involved in every single sin. Why did Eve eat the forbidden fruit? Because she believed the devil's lie rather than God's truth. Hey, if you don't believe God, you'll never be a success. Learn what real success can be like. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart each weeknight at 6 Central here on American Family Radio. Rejoice with those who rejoice. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Michael, a five-year-old boy, showed up at the courthouse in Grand Rapids, Michigan, for an adoption hearing with his foster parents, and he had a crowd of unusual supporters. Michael's entire kindergarten class sat in the audience behind him, waving big red hearts mounted on wooden sticks to show their support. The kindergartners offered the most touching answers, standing up and telling the court, I love Michael, or Michael's my best friend. Michael's new father and mother had been married nearly 10 years, and he'd been living with them as a foster child for more than a year. Adoption, truly, is at the heart of the gospel. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner, or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. Joe Biden has not been a regular church attender in decades, but when he was sworn into office, the talking snake media, which hasn't seen the inside of a church in about the same time, swooned at the wonder of having such a devout man as our nation's president. But he is not a Catholic or a Christian in any meaningful sense. His first action as president was to commit American taxpayers to funding overseas abortions, making the U.S. the world's largest purveyor of child sacrifice. The president is an enthusiastic supporter of abortions which tear the arms and legs off unborn babies and disposes of them like medical waste. While the media can't talk enough about how devout and decent he is, I say they're dead wrong. No man who is either devout or decent would support tearing babies to pieces in the womb. 
Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Among the most insidious legacies of Barack Obama's presidency was the wrecking operation he conducted against the U.S. military. It was defunded, disarmed, and subjected to social experimentation without regard for the adverse consequences for our troops' warfighting capabilities, readiness, and morale. Tragically, Joe Biden is taking the radical left's war against our armed forces to dangerous new levels. He is imposing the transgender agenda with all its attendant costs on the Defense Department. He is reinstating training that inflames racial tensions. And even worse, the new administration and its allies on Capitol Hill have started purging military personnel deemed insufficiently aligned with the commander-in-chief. This amounts to a dangerous politicization of the Pentagon, one likely to deprive the nation of skilled American warriors whose service may soon be urgently needed if our enemies are emboldened by the evident weakening of our defenses. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Bipartisan outrage over National Guard troops packed into a parking garage resting on concrete amid car fumes after defending the Capitol for inauguration. It was utterly unacceptable. I don't think a single senator feels that was acceptable. It's still unclear who's to blame. The National Guard telling Fox Capitol Police ordered the troops out as Congress was in session. Capitol Police denying they gave the order. But Republican governors from Texas, Florida, and New Hampshire didn't wait for answers to bring their soldiers home. I don't know who's responsible. Frankly, I don't care. I just got to get, you know, protect my troops and do what's right. Guard members told Politico, we feel incredibly betrayed after a group of 5,000 were directed to the underground lot with only two toilets, no internet, and one electrical outlet. Senator Tammy Duckworth, an Iraq War veteran and double amputee, offered up her own office, tweeting, Unreal. I can't believe that the same brave service members we've been asking to protect our capital and our Constitution these last two weeks would be unceremoniously ordered to vacate the building. Senator Tim Scott called for accountability, tweeting, This is unconscionable and unsafe. Safety questions are growing as defense officials confirm more than 100 troops now tested positive for coronavirus. The Senate Rules Committee is in investigating if precautions were taken amid concerns the deployment is becoming a super spreader event. Troops maintained high spirits despite vetting for extremist ties and questionable accommodations. FEMA only sending cots after these photos went viral. Everybody's extremely honored to be here and a part of this and to help uh, protect the process and protect their country. Oh, I wanted to give everybody a cookie. The new president and first lady expressed thanks and gave support. Jill Biden in person, Joe Biden by phone. He talked about his own personal uh, commitment and connection to the National Guard, uh, given his son had served uh, previously. Capitol Police and the National Guard said in a joint statement they are committed to the common goal of protecting the Capitol, but it did not resolve the question of who gave the controversial order. But troops are now working eight-hour shifts instead of 12, allowing them more time to get hotel rooms outside the city. Okay, so that's Jackie Heinrich of Fox News, and of, that's a story that I hadn't gotten to this week, but it happened over the weekend. And now, as you heard Jackie say, the troops, several, uh, what, a hundred, couple hundred of them have tested positive for COVID. But, you know, all right, that's bad. But putting them in a parking garage and having them sleep on the floor on concrete, and you probably saw the pictures, 
uh, exhaust fumes, only two bathrooms, just horrible. Now, you might say, according to that report, it sounds like, oh, that was, you know, an accident. They didn't really mean to do that. I mean, they respect our troops. You heard her say Joe Biden respects the troops, right? His son served, and goodness, they respect the troops. I would say that based on what we saw in the Obama administration and in the Obama years, and because Obama staffers are who is running the government with Joe Biden, I wouldn't be so sure about that. Because I seem to remember during those eight years of Obama how the military atrophied, how the Air Force and our planes could not get supplies and not even parts to repair the airplanes. Uh, I remember how uh, the veterans were treated so horribly at the veterans' hospitals. I remember how the troops had to fight for pay. I remember how horribly they were treated. I remember how they treated chaplains who actually were Christian chaplains who believed in the orthodoxy of biblical teaching on marriage and other things, who wanted to pray in the name of Jesus, and they were ostracized and eventually rooted out. Um, I I remember all of that, and I know then, okay, so that you say, well, that was the Obama years. Joe's more moderate, right? Well, except for what, uh, yesterday? He signed an order uh, saying that transgendered persons now must be free to serve in the military alongside Soldiers who are male, you're going to have transgendered soldiers, you're going to have bathrooms. The women soldiers will have to share bathrooms with men who think, and these are not necessarily transitioned, as though that makes a difference. Uh, There'll be men who think they're women. They can use the girls' bathrooms and showers and all of that, so a bunk next to them. So that's how much Joe Biden loves the military. If you want to know, I always say to you, and I'll say again, don't look at what a man says, look at what he does. And that's what I always said in defense of President Trump. Don't look at what he says, look at what he does. And what he did was incredible things uh, to restore the country to health, to restore the military, to restore the economy, to protect and defend it, to encourage the American people. That's what he did uh, while he was tweeting all those mean things. Uh, yeah, so just keep in mind uh, that it doesn't matter what you say. Flap, 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 flattery, flattery, flattery. I love this, I love that. Yeah, all shucks, yeah. Smiling, waving means nothing. It means nothing if your actions are actions like these. And that's what we have. All right, so those National Guard troops now, thousands of them are supposed to remain in D.C. through March because, you know, there's terrible threats in D.C., I'm sure. Uh, it's like a military state. I've, I, it's unbelievable. This is exactly what totalitarian regimes do. If you, you know, let me repeat, I'm sorry to repeat, but I must, that I lived in Berlin, Germany uh, during the Cold War. I lived there when Checkpoint Charlie was up, and uh, it was, uh, the East Germany was, a, when we would cross the checkpoint, and you couldn't just cross it, it was very complicated to get through, and only a few people did, and I was one of them that got through. I don't mean illegally. We did it through channels went through the barriers, had guns pointed at me, got into East Berlin. Talk about a militarized zone. Police, Russian, uh, East German, all over the place. People could not even eat, talk in restaurants. They were so frightened. Yeah, so, uh, and then, of course, in, in China, in Russia, when you see photos of the North Korea, everyone, the, the military is the emphasis because that's how the totalitarians have power. And so don't think... This is an accident. 
Uh, so the National Guard troops will re- remain through March because heaven knows, you know, uh, there are, you know, immediate threats. Now, let me say Ron DeSantis uh, from Florida uh, brought his troops back home. He said they are not Nancy Pelosi's servants. And uh, uh, Governor Abbott from Texas uh, did something similar. And I want to tell you something that you probably you might not have heard this, and if you haven't, you have to hear. Uh, there was no place, you know, those troops were being housed in an underground garage, sleeping on the concrete floor, and uh, Trump gave permission for them to stay at Trump Hotel. Okay, so um, just saying, President Trump gave them permission, all those troops, to stay in Trump Hotel. That was his response to that. I want to give you some other positive news, like some good things happening, and I want you to know that people are showing courage, and God bless them, because that's what we're going to show too, right? We're going to show courage. Um, there is a great article in The American Thinker by Jeffrey Lord, and it's entitled Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. Profiles encourage, and he writes, as a young United States senator from Massachusetts, John F. Kennedy wrote a Pulitzer Prize-winning book focused on eight United States senators who fearlessly stood up for principle when all around them were afraid to do so. The title, Profiles in Courage, wrote the future president of Courage. A man does what he must in spite of personal consequences, in spite of obstacles and dangers and pressures, And that is the basis of all human morality. And then he went on to say, of the eight senators, this is Senator, future President John F. Kennedy, all these men disregarded dreadful consequences to their public and private lives to do the one thing that seemed right in itself. And in the middle of the relentless assault on the integrity of the American election system and the Constitution itself, two United States senators have stood out as sterling examples of what it means to be a profile Encourage what it really means to be a United States Senator. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. There's a lot more to that article. We'll put it on our Facebook page. Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, Profiles Encourage. And uh, there's a lot more to say, but I'm out of time. Hey, thanks for joining me today. See you tomorrow. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.